The Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Free for all. Good afternoon as a tsunami of migrants descends on Texas. The Biden administration's now offering legal status to nearly half a million Venezuelans who've overwhelmed the southern border. Bill Malugin at Fox News begins our coverage. Yesterday alone, CBP encountered more than 10,000 migrants at our southern border. That means we are now back to those all-time record high levels we last saw in May in the days leading up to the end of Title 42. The president is allowing the Venezuelan refugees to live and work here so long as they got here before August 1st. The mayor of Eagle Pass, Texas, says the illegal invasion, as he puts it, has got to stop. A lot of these people, they're single males. They're not all friendly people. There's been people that have criminal records. They're walking our streets. I get calls from constituents every day telling me, you know what, mayor? We're scared to even go outside. We can't walk anymore because we have random people walking the streets. Correspondent Manuel Bohorquez has the latest from the border. This week, tens of thousands of migrants have crossed the U.S. border. Near Eagle Pass, Texas, up to 5,000 have streamed through in the past 24 hours. The influx prompting the mayor to sign an emergency declaration. While in Arizona, hundreds were detained, some in makeshift cages. John Martin says the shelter he runs in El Paso is beyond capacity. You are at a crisis level here. I would say yes. Still, they cross, hoping for asylum. More than Seven million migrants have fled Venezuela in recent years, creating the largest refugee crisis ever recorded in the Western Hemisphere. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky is making the rounds on Capitol Hill today. He's trying to shore up another 24 billion U.S. dollars for the war effort against Russia. There are growing divisions in Congress, however, on whether we should be doing that. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. I don't support additional funding for Ukraine. My view is we need to know Number one, take care of our folks first. Letting Putin win doesn't make any problem at home better. It makes it worse. South Carolina's Lindsey Graham is of the opinion that we need to stand with Ukraine no matter what the cost. The Ukrainian president has a sit down this afternoon with President Biden at the White House. Also on Capitol Hill, the race is on to avert a government shutdown at the end of the month. Cammy McCormick has the latest on House Speaker McCarthy's efforts to get a spending bill past the finish line. McCarthy is lacking some hard right support and he's racing against time. He hopes to pass a temporary bill that will include 8% cuts to many government services, but hardline conservatives want deeper cuts and Democratic senators oppose the plan. They're trying to push through their own. McCarthy has told the House to prepare to remain in session this weekend to get the job done. Donald Trump thinks Republicans will lose elections next year if they don't support exceptions to bans on abortions. That said, the former president calls those who support abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy the real radicals. They're the radicals on the abortion issue, and you have to say that, in that they allow the killing of babies in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth month, and they even allow the killing of the baby 
after birth. Trump took heat from many Republicans this week for slamming states that have enacted six-week abortion bans. That is typically when a heartbeat is detected. The Biden administration providing $600 million for new at-home COVID tests. Each U.S. household can get up to four at no charge. Orders can be placed beginning September 25th at covidtests.gov. Those tests will be delivered through the U.S. Postal Service. The 142-day Hollywood writer's strike could be ending soon. There's hope in the air for the first time in a long time. Studio executives are said to be close to a deal with the striking writers. Could there finally be an end to the months-long writer's strike that's ground Hollywood to a halt? Both sides meeting again today. There's new hope for progress after major studio heads came to the table for the first time Wednesday, signaling a significant shift in the talks. Writers went on strike May 2nd over pay issues, residuals in the streaming era, and the use of artificial intelligence. A media mogul stepping down. Fox says 92-year-old Rupert Murdoch will be stepping down as chairman of the board of Fox and News Corporation in November, his son Lachlan taking his place. Rupert Murdoch will keep an emeritus title with both companies. In a statement, Lachlan Murdoch said, We thank him for his vision, his pioneering spirit, determination, and the legacy he leaves to the companies he founded and people he has impacted. Murdoch has influenced television and politics. He's one of the richest people in the world, worth more than $21 billion last year, according to Forbes magazine. Steve Cafin reporting, a town on Long Island has offered to take the statues that New York City plans to tear down in the age of cancel culture. Brookhaven town manager Ed Romain. We'd be happy to take the monument for George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Christopher Columbus. They contributed greatly. We are now looking at them through our eyes 250 years, four or 500 years later, and we're saying we're going to judge them by today's standards and not by the standards in which they live. Many on the left argue the historic statues are offensive due to those historic figures' ties to slavery. Still to come on the Noon Report for Thursday, new voting law in New York is facing legal challenges. The latest on the efforts to move up primary day in Pennsylvania, and we'll be talking slave reparations. That conversation heating up again in Albany. This is meteorologist Ken McKinley, most all areas seeing a lot of sunshine through the afternoon with temperatures getting above 70. It'll be a cool night tonight, down to the 40s. Sunshine will dominate again tomorrow. We will see some clouds coming into eastern Pennsylvania areas on Saturday, maybe a little light rain, but the rest of the region should continue to have a fair amount of sunshine. Full forecast details for the next several days coming up in about 10 minutes. All right, Ken, we'll see you then. Thank you much. In the meantime, we'll check the stories making news across New York and Pennsylvania. Hedge fund manager David McCormick formally announces his bid for U.S. Senate today, 5 p.m. in Pittsburgh. That's when it happens. The Republican candidate plans to challenge three-term Democratic incumbent Bob Casey Jr. for his job next year. McCormick lost last Last year's Pennsylvania primary to Dr. Mehmet Oz by less than a thousand votes. New York Governor Kathy Hochul signed a bill allowing early voting by mail. The no excuse early voting law takes effect in January. There are legal challenges pending, however. The governor claims any concerns about election integrity are simply conspiracy theories. Ballot harvesting. They made up a whole lot of words around this. They weren't problems at all. They made them up. Conspiracy theories, distortions of reality. Because if more people vote, they're more likely to lose. They want to keep it in the 
power in the hands of the few. RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. Showing an ID to vote makes me conspiracy theorist. We should all do this. Listen, we want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. We're going to fight these bad laws, but it shows how scared the Democrats are. In Pennsylvania, we have outregistered the Democrats every month this year. New York Republicans claim Governor Hochul's actions are illegal because she's trying to change the very definition of what an absentee ballot is. The Pennsylvania Senate has approved a bill that moves up the state's 2024 primary election by five weeks to March 19th. This would make the Keystone State more of a player in deciding presidential candidates next year. Pennsylvania hasn't hosted a competitive presidential primary since 2008. Pennsylvania has a critical need of poll workers on Election Day this year, November 7th. The Commonwealth is short about 40,000 workers. The problem is so severe that the state is actually recruiting 17-year-olds to serve as election monitors. Opening statements got underway today at the murder trial of accused cop killer Calvin Vickers in Rochester, New York. He's the guy that prosecutors say killed Anthony Mazurkiewicz last year. His partner was wounded. Monroe County District Attorney Sandra Dorley. I really feel that we have a jury that will fairly and impartially review this case over the next four weeks, so I'm very satisfied. Mazurkiewicz and his partner were conducting an undercover sting operation into illegal marijuana transactions when they were shot in an unmarked patrol car last summer. Slave reparation talks are heating up once again at the state capitol in Albany. Family Life's Jeremy Miller. State lawmakers passed a bill to study the issue and the governor has to sign or veto it before the end of the year. Now, if signed into law, it would form a commission of nine appointees to study the state's history of slavery and how to repair its last impacts on descendants of enslaved New Yorkers. 58 state lawmakers sent Hochul a letter last week pushing her to immediately sign it into law. Slavery was banned in New York in 1827, 36 years before the Emancipation Proclamation. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. Governor Hochul signed a new law that's aimed at protecting consumers from surprise hikes in their energy bills. That legislation requires energy companies get consent before any price increase takes effect. Effect. An accident involving a school van has taken the life of a Pennsylvania teenager headed to school. A 15-year-old girl was killed Wednesday in a school van crash in Dravosburg, east of Pittsburgh. The van was transporting four juveniles from Sarah Catholic High School when it was struck by another vehicle. The other three students in the van were injured and taken to a hospital in stable condition, but authorities say their injuries did not appear to be life-threatening. Two men were taken to area hospitals in critical condition. Sarah Catholic has canceled classes and school activities through Sunday and will host a prayer service Thursday evening at the school. Brian Query, Family Life News. Tough stuff there. Thank you, Brian. A homeschooling family in New York has run into some trouble after requesting graduation documents from the state. Jeff and Tabitha Ludwig were denied by their local public school superintendent and have had to go to court to get the papers they need for their daughter to graduate. For the Ludwigs in particular, the school district was trying to put additional burdens. In other words, they said you needed to do 
uh, extra credits and requirements that are, is not specifically in the homeschooling law. T.J. Schmidt is senior counsel for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Even in states like New York, where the you know regulations seem overwhelming, uh, you know anyone can homeschool. Since the pandemic, rates of homeschooling have risen by 30 percent across the country. In Pennsylvania, it's up 53 percent. In New York State, 65 percent. The state gaming control board has banned a man who they say left a five-year-old outside in 22-degree weather while he gambled inside a casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. There were more than 125 such incidents across the Commonwealth through the first seven months of this year. Pennsylvania raked in almost half a billion dollars last month alone in gambling profits. That's a seven and a half percent increase from August of last year. The growing popularity of sports betting a big reason why. Let's switch gears next. Talk sports on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the races remain tight in both leagues in Major League Baseball. The wild card standings did not change in the American League as all three teams vying for two playoff spots won their games. The Blue Jays' winning streak now at five after beating the Yankees six to one. Kevin Gossman whiffed ten and only allowed three hits over six scoreless innings to pick up the victory. New York now at 500 on the season with a 76-76 record. Toronto is in the second wild card spot, one game ahead of both Seattle and Texas. The Rangers hit four home runs in their route of Boston, 15 to five. The Mariners went deep three times. As they swept Oakland 6-3. By the way, both Texas and Seattle only a half game behind Houston for the American League West lead. The Astros got a walk-off RBI single from Mauricio Dubon to defeat Baltimore 2-1. Over in the National League, all five of the teams in the hunt for two playoff spots lost, except for the Arizona Diamondbacks. The D-backs won their fifth in a row with a 7-1 win over the Giants. In that game, Corbin Carroll hit a home run and stole two bases to become the first rookie ever in Major League Baseball history to hit at least 25 home runs and steal at least 50 bases in his inaugural season. Arizona now a game and a half up on the Cubs, who fell to the Pirates. Pittsburgh broke out the bats in a big way as five different Buckos had at least two RBIs in their 13-7 win. Miami fell to the Mets 8-3 to remain a half game out, and the Reds are a game out after blowing it in the ninth, giving up three runs to Minnesota to fall 5-3. That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, thank you very much. And still to come on the Noon Report, reading matters at school. A famous painter and his painting. Plus, brushing up on civics. There's a lot we don't know about how our government works. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Pixar's WALL-E has proven to be among the most profound and prophetic films of the last 20 years. After hopelessly polluting the Earth and leaving an army of robots to clean up the planet, humans now live aboard a giant ship built by a company that promises to take care of all of its passengers' needs. Thus, humans are left with nothing really to do but to amuse themselves and to eat a lot. 
Many Christians wrote off the Pixar classic at the time because of its hyper-environmentalist message. However, the film's commentary on human exceptionalism and vocation, specifically the inability of machines to do our most important work for us, well, that was spot on. In the world of WALL-E, human beings have a purpose, or a telos, that cannot be reduced to just maximizing comfort, safety, and convenience. In the biblical account of reality, humans exist to glorify and love God, to serve as his special representatives and co-rulers in creation. Human invention should help us towards achieving those ends. Our devices cannot and should not try to replace us, as if humanity is the central problem in this world, that which needs to be solved. Recently, in First Things, Matthew Crawford argued that an anti-human worldview, like the one that was parodied in WALL-E, now dominates our tech and governing classes. Those who are behind everything, from smartphone apps to pandemic policies, share a basic belief that human beings are inferior to machines. We are thought to be, as he put it, stupid, obsolete, fragile, and of course hateful. Crawford opens the essay with an example of a driverless car that was created by Google, which froze at a four-way stop. Apparently, the drivers around the car didn't behave as it had been programmed to expect. However, rather than admit the limits of the car's artificial intelligence, one Google engineer remarked that what he'd learned through the whole incident is that humans need to be less idiotic. The premise here is that humans are not the crown of creation. They are problems to be solved. Of course, it is quite possible that once we've worked out all the bugs, driverless cars will lead to less accidents and less road deaths. However, one of the bugs that will need to be worked out here are those programmers who hate humans. And that makes the point of this essay just ring more true. C.S. Lewis saw this impulse decades ago, and he recognized how it would grant growing power to certain people at the expense of others. It was in his masterpiece, The Abolition of Man, that Lewis warned of those he called the conditioners, those who considered themselves above such common human frailties. Of course, as Lewis pointed out, the conditioners themselves are also human, but they're in denial that they, too, are vulnerable to the same frailties as everyone else. Their danger lies in the fact that they are oblivious about their own frailties, especially their moral ones. It's good, actually, that humans have bodies which limit us to one location at a time and to the need for food and to sleep and to friendship. These limits are parts of our design, and because we're designed, we have to be guided by values, not mere algorithms. As Wally got mostly right, technology is good, but needs a telos, a purpose for existing. That purpose cannot be to replace or to transcend or to circumvent God's good design for human beings. In short, technology and public policy should be human-shaped, not the other way around. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Shane Morris. For more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Outside we go next, meteorologist Ken McKinley. Good afternoon, a very pleasant day underway across our region. There were a few clouds over western New York for a while this morning, but they are breaking up right now. There'll be plenty of sunshine in this region on through the afternoon. The rest of the area is seeing abundant sunshine through the afternoon, and most areas will see temperatures poking above the 70-degree mark this afternoon. It'll be another clear and somewhat chilly night tonight, again with some patchy fog in selected areas. A lot of sunshine on the way again tomorrow. As we head through tomorrow night and Saturday, we'll be keeping our eyes on a system moving up the mid-Atlantic coast which will spread some clouds into eastern Pennsylvania and possibly some rain at times as well. And some clouds may sneak into eastern portions of the southern tier of New York as well. But the rest of the region will continue to enjoy sunny skies on the first day of autumn on Saturday. All right. Hello, fall. Thank you very much, Ken. This is the Noon Report. I'm Bob Price. Lots going on Thursday, September 21st. The White House today approving work permits and deportation protections for nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants. That means the migrants will be able to live and work 
work here legally. Dave Phelan is the Texas Speaker of the House. Here in Texas, we feel like we are at war with our own government, and they're doing nothing to help us. This is an all-out crisis on our southern border. Most of the migrants have been massing under a bridge in Eagle Pass, Texas. The mayor there is Rolando Salinas Jr. We cannot sustain this flow. We're a nation of laws. People can't just come in like this. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has deployed more National Guardsmen and more razor wire in an attempt to repel illegal border crossings. Yesterday alone, there were more than 10,000 into this country. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is making the rounds on Capitol Hill trying to secure another $24 billion in U.S. aid for the war effort against the Russians. Reporter Gabe Gutierrez. We're already seeing pushback. A new Republican letter from 23 House members and six senators rejecting that proposal. Meanwhile, overnight, Russia launched major attacks, striking at least five cities across Ukraine. It comes after Zelensky called the invasion a criminal and unprovoked aggression at the U.N. Security Council. The Ukrainian head of state will huddle at the White House this afternoon with President Biden. There's progress to report on efforts to end the 142-day-old writer's strike in Hollywood. In a very rare move, the WGA, which is the Hollywood Writers Union, and the studios released a joint statement. It was only a few words long, but just those few words for them to agree on that, it's something different than we've seen in months and months and months. There is some optimism in the room there, but these things can get derailed very quickly. Jake Hal's Tom Waite, the writers went on strike May 2nd. With COVID rates on the rise, many Americans say they're worried about contracting the virus, but as Rory O'Neill reports, the numbers are still relatively low. There's been a late summer surge in COVID infections, and more Americans are concerned they could catch it too. A new Gallup survey finds one in four Americans are very or somewhat worried they'll be infected, but the rest say they're not too worried or not worried at all. New COVID booster shots are now rolling out to help stop the spread of the virus. I'm Rory O'Neill. The annual Annenberg Constitution Day survey on civics shows Americans don't know much about how their government works. Sadly, just two-thirds of us can name the three branches of government. One in six can't name any of the branches. Less than half of Americans, just 40%, know that freedom of religion is guaranteed in our Constitution. Art stolen by the Nazis has been returned to the heir of an Austrian performer who was killed in the Holocaust. Here's reporter Marla Diamond. D.A. Alvin Bragg called the return of the seven Egon Shiley pieces valued at $9 million historic and groundbreaking. In this office, justice has no expiration date. Said Matthew Bogdanos, who directs the D.A.'s Antiquities Trafficking Unit. The watercolors and pencil drawings were handed to Judge Timothy Reef, an heir of Austrian performer Fritz Grunbaum, who was killed in the Dachau concentration camp in 1941. Your actions are as righteous as they are courageous. Authorities in Indiana looking for a 28-year-old who was arrested for a fatal shooting in Minneapolis. That man was mistakenly released from custody last week. Sharita Catchings is the mother of the man who was killed two years ago. It's killing me. Right now, when they released him, it's like this is starting all over again for me. 28-year-old Kevin Mason was let 
ago, September 13th, from an adult detention facility in Marion County due to a clerical error. Now, two clerks have been fired as a result. I couldn't afford to fire the two people I did because we don't have another replacement. But I also could not afford to have people who would release somebody on murder charged to the street. Marion County Sheriff Carrie Forstall. A North Carolina woman is suing Google because her husband died after driving off a collapsed bridge while following directions using Google Maps. The suit claims the Maps app directed the father of two to cross a bridge that was not there. The man drowned when his Jeep plunged into a creek. A controversial monument at Arlington National Cemetery could be moving to property owned by the Virginia military. The memorial currently sits atop the grave of Moses Ezekiel, a Confederate veteran and VMI graduate. The Washington Post reports that the VMI Board of Visitors voted last week to accept the monument and place it at the Museum of the Civil War at Newmarket Battlefield State Historical Park at the request of Governor Yunkin. He tells WRIC-TV that while he wants the monument to remain at Arlington, President Biden is insisting on its removal. Sarah Bartlett reporting the head of the New York City school system is putting an emphasis on reading. About half of New York City students were not reading on grade level last year. During a state of the school's address Wednesday, school chancellor David Banks says the goal is to have all of them reading on grade level by third grade. We get this right, we can we can completely change the trajectory of all of our kids. Banks asked parents to read to their children for at least half an hour every day. He also talked about the new curriculum, which uses phonics to help students learn to read. Scott Pringle, New York. There's been a more than 30% increase in the number of books being banned at schools these days due to their obscene or graphic content. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy says he supports parents' rights to know what types of books their children are exposed to in the classroom. Many parents have tried to read these books out loud in school board meetings, and school boards, some, not all, say you can't read that out loud, it's pornographic. Well, that's the point. In Pennsylvania, the Senate Education Committee this week approved a bill that helps parents see more of what their children are taught at school. It also requires districts post online the title for every textbook used by the school, as well as the course syllabus. You're tuned into the Noon Report, a Thursday edition right here on the Family Life Noon Report. How does the church speak to the culture? How must the church speak to the culture? This is Faith Under Fire on Family Life, our weekly look at Christ and Christians and culture. Today's special feature brings you highlights from the recent Turning Point USA Pastors Summit in San Diego and similar events that have happened in the past year since their first one just a year ago. The conversation is about how Christians, particularly pastors and other church leaders, need to speak into the culture of the day. These clips are from the Pastors Summit speakers, including Rick Brown, who gives an overview and marching orders. So let's think about this. Is Hollywood going to save the country anytime soon? Media, tech companies, is the federal government the only institution that's left that has any sort of organization that has a claim for truth that is able to call a crooked line from a straight line, that's able to call good from evil, dark from light, and right from wrong, is the church. Michael Knowles talks about how truth is always on the side of Christ's followers 
who follow the scriptures. What I endeavored to do was take back ground that the liberals thought they conquered. The liberals thought that they had already won on the issue of transgenderism, and so they thought the debate at this point was between do we trans the kids at age eight or do we wait until they turn nine? Do we do, is it third grade or do we wait until fourth grade? And I said, no, either transgenderism is true or it's false. I, either a man can be a woman or a man cannot be a woman. If it is true, if a man really can become a woman, not only should we tolerate this for 25-year-olds, we probably should trans the kids, right? I mean, if, if they really can be born in the wrong body, then it would seem cruel to force them to go through the wrong puberty or, or all of the jargon that they talk about but we know it isn't true. And so if it isn't true, then it isn't true for anybody else either. Bringing the fight to, to the liberals, especially on cultural issues uh, where, where the liberals think they've already won. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense, and I think we need to start retaking some ground on this issue. And by the way, if men and women really are different and if men can't become women and vice versa, well then we need to stand up for eternal truths about the relationship between men and women, of what marriage really means. There is no reason to give that up. We are Christian. Either our faith is true or it's not true. And if it's not true, then as St. Paul tells us, we are most to be pitied. But it is true, okay? And we, we can know these things revealed by our Lord, and we can know these things from the natural law, and we can know these things using our reason and our moral conscience from the created world. And if we don't have the courage to stand up for the basic nature of our humanity, then we're not gonna stand up for anything. We might as well close up the churches. We might as well throw it all in and let the liberals run the country. Pastors in many types of churches find it hard to step out on issues that can be labeled as political, but Charlie Kirk says that he has had those conversations with leading pastors who wanted to play it safe or didn't know if they should speak out, teach, or preach about the issues of the day. And he said, uh, and he was sweet about it. He, um, he said, Charlie, I'm really undecided after the last couple years of whether or not I should speak out on current events. I said, okay, let me get this straight. So after the last year of the lockdowns of churches, strip clubs and marijuana dispensaries and liquor stores remain open, the forced vaccinations, the masks on our kids, the most suicidal generation and alcohol addicted and drug addicted generation in history, our border remains completely and totally wide open. They're raiding the homes of pro-life leaders. You're still undecided after that, after a couple years? Like, what more information do you need exactly to want to speak out? And so I worded it a little bit nicer than that. And basically he said, and he was said, I'm undecided of whether or not it's worth doing it. That's what he was undecided about. You're undecided about whether it's the right time to do the right thing. This is a pastor of a pretty major church. I don't know how persuasive I was, but that shouldn't even be a question if you're a pastor in America. If you're still undecided at this point, Charlie Kirk, Michael Knowles, and Rick Brown, among dozens of speakers who spoke to hundreds of evangelical pastors this week in California at the latest of the Pastors' Summits. I'm Greg Gillespie. Thanks for listening to Faith Under Fire from Family Life News.
All right, Greg, thank you very much for putting that together today. Faith Under Fire, the name of the program, comes your way Thursdays during the Noon Report or online anytime. Just go to familylife.org. Look for the news icon on the podcast page. Good afternoon. A very pleasant day underway across our region. There were a few clouds over western New York for a while this morning, but they are breaking up right now. There'll be plenty of sunshine in this region on through the afternoon. The rest of the area is seeing abundant sunshine through the afternoon, and most areas will see temperatures poking above the 70-degree mark this afternoon. It'll be another clear and somewhat chilly night tonight, again with some patchy fog in selected areas. A lot of sunshine on the way again tomorrow. As we head through tomorrow night and Saturday, we'll be keeping our eyes on a system moving up the mid-Atlantic coast, which will spread some clouds into eastern Pennsylvania and possibly some rain at times as well. And some clouds may sneak into eastern portions of the southern tier of New York as well. But the rest of the region will continue to enjoy sunny skies on the first day of autumn on Saturday. Thank you very much, Ken McKinley, filling in for Kevin today. And finally at noon, a famous painting from an iconic artist has just fetched a pretty penny at auction. We don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents. The first Bob Ross painting ever to be featured on his iconic PBS show just sold at auction for $9.8 million. It's called The Walk in the Woods, an oil on canvas he painted back in 1983. The painting's actually credited with launching Ross's career. The old clock on the wall tells me it's about time to bring the show and the series to a close. Ross created more than a thousand pieces of art on the joy of painting before the show ended its run in 1994. That was a year before Ross died of lymphoma at 52. All right. Thank you very much, Monica Ricks. And that's our world, folks. The world we live in Thursday, September 21st. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.